Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into the Buster Show. Today, we have another very special guest, David Meltzer. David, welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here, Buster. Everything that I do with you is like an adrenaline boost. I, I should, like I said, put you in that two to four in the afternoon range because it just would fire me up for the rest of the night. Well, you know, what we're doing now, it lives forever. So we're in that forever range. <laughs> <laughs> Infinity and limitlessness. That's where I live. A hundred percent. How are you doing today? Where are you, by the way? I'm down at my beach house uh, in San Diego. We ditched the kids and took a date night, my wife and I, and I brought my green screen so you can see that beautiful studio behind me. And uh, I'll keep on, I, I believe in vacationing every day. So, you know, whether it be 10 minutes, an hour or two hours, I'm not one of those people. I know uh, my PR guy, Jake's mom, she likes to take six weeks off the grid. I'd kill myself if I was six weeks off the grid. I, I can't take six, six days off the grid. I, I have to vacation every day, activity I get paid for every day, activity I don't get paid for every day. That's my, that's my life. So break that down for me. How do you do all those things every day? You know, it's interesting. First of all, you have to change your paradigm on when your day starts. So I believe that my tomorrow starts at 9 p.m. tonight. So I see sleeping as the greatest workout that you could have. It's the time in which we are subconsciously and unconsciously connected to the greatest source of energy. Most people live their life like Camus wrote in the book, The Myth of Sisyphus. They push a boulder to the top of the hill every day just to have it roll down to the bottom for the next day. Through the concept of starting your tomorrow today, you actually can plateau and grow every day. The most essential time of my day is sleep. And so my unwind routine starts at 9 p.m., which is actually a warm up to my biggest workout, which is sleep, so that I can plateau and grow every single day. Now, the other key is I have two routines. Uh, my first routine is, you know, I have that wind round routine so I can wake up at 4 a.m., and then I execute on my day from 4 a.m. all day long, especially being a student of my calendar. I study what I have planned, what I don't have planned, and that's sleep. But more importantly, I have an adaptable routine. See, most people, uh, they lie to themselves. In fact, I'm doing a training this Friday about lying to yourselves. We think that we have our lives under control. We think we're disciplined. We think we're consistent. So we go ahead and make a plan. The most disciplined, you know, strategic people, and we think, Everything's going to be fine. Well, if you want to make God laugh, come up with a well-developed plan. So I already account for that by having an adaptable routine that says, okay, if my in-laws come to town, if COVID hits, you know, whatever might happen during the day, I'm going to shift from what I have planned in my calendar to an adaptable routine, one in which is based on my values. So I immediately go over to, I'm going to spend priority, number one, a minimum of an hour a day on my health. Because if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of other people. Then a minimum of 30 minutes with my wife. Then a minimum of 30 minutes with my 10-year-old son. Minimum of two minutes a day with my three teenage daughters. Minimum of one minute a day with my mom. I, oh, don't laugh. I asked for five. They gave me two. They're 21, 19. You, you get it. Uh, and, then, song. <laughs> yeah. and then a minimum of one minute with my mom. And I, this is good parent advice for you. Uh, I'll change your relationship with your mom, Buster. You call her every day just for a minute, and you tell her these four things. Tell her that you're healthy, tell her that you're happy, tell her that you appreciate her, and most importantly, love her. If you tell your mom that You know what's every so crazy? Day, I do that already by default. We talk five times a day. Oh, see, that's why you're so happy, dude, because you treat your mom correctly and have that solid relationship.
Well, I, I think that comes from her having treated me correctly and it's just reciprocation. But um, the 4 a.m. part, because I, I was like, there, was a, there have been moments in my life where I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I've watched like the hustle videos on YouTube. I get all amped up. I'm like, all right, I'm doing everything I want to do, but I got to go even harder. I got to wake up early in the morning. I got to do this. Blah, blah, blah. I got a cold shower every day. And I've had moments where I've done that where I've gotten up at 5 a.m. every morning, gone, you know, running, gone crazy, you know, passed back out before, you know, 10 a.m. I've done everything. I hate all of it. What? How do you stay disciplined to get up at four? And do you enjoy that? And do you think that, you know, it's not necessarily as much about getting up early as it is you know, working hard those hours, because some people like myself sometimes are much more productive from one to 3am, as opposed to five to 8am. How do you how do you sort of look at that? I think it's personal, right? Certain people are pr productive, accessible, and gracious at different times. I, I think it is essential to have some of those later hours where you're awake, where there's less interference, and I'm talking energetically. So if you're productive one to three, that's the same as my four to, to six, right? right. It, and so I think there's no difference in that. What I want people to do though is to be consistent with it. Uh, you know, consistency works within the continuum of the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. It creates not only compound interest, but acceleration and growth to everything that we do. And so, you know, for me, I'm living today so I can wake up at 4 a.m. And I enjoy that because of the productivity, which is the value service and solutions that I can provide, the accessibility, which is a duality of how accessible it makes me to other people because I have a greater free time or unplanned time. And then also how am I accessing what I want? It allows me to get what I want so I can shop for what I want to, to make me happy through me to other people happy. And then of course, the gratitude. You know, One of the things about consistency is that it allows us to find the light, the love, and the lessons in everything we do, right? Pain and suffering are two things that I study. Pain, most people see as a stop sign. They get pain, they stop. Me, I get pain, it's an indicator, it's a turn signal. It's telling me, hey dummy, you got a lesson to learn. Let's get real excited and learn the lesson because we're gonna move in a better place, a better situation, or make our situation better. And suffering itself is the process the suffering that occurs or other people define as suffering to me is the process of finding, which is a difficult thing at times, light, love, and lessons and pain. You know, you got to find the light, the love, and the lesson. So I don't believe you love what you do, Buster. And I know you would say, yeah, I do, Dave. I believe you've learned to love what you do. You have found the light, the love, and the lessons. And I would guarantee as cool as the things that you do from the Buster show to the halftime show to all the other cool things that I know you do, there's a certain percentage of suck in it. And, you know, that suck is similar to other people's percentage of suck. You're just one of those gifted people, probably because of the way your mom is, uh, that is able and capable of finding the light, the love, and the lessons in the suck to take the, cla the glass half full or overflowing approach to what may not be acceptable to other people or pleasant to other people. It's interesting. I, I, you know, thinking while you're saying that about something you said earlier, having the freedom to do things that also comes from, you know, you having set your life up in a way where you don't have to call to anybody, you know, which is an incredible luxury that I 
like that's what success, success if you ask me what success is the answer is not having to call to anybody nice um you know being able that like you know in a way shape or form some level of freedom and there are billionaires who have to call to people like not oh, yeah. really, I've, been, you know, I've been i've been there i've been a billionaire but a multi multi multi-millionaire that was feeling as if i was in jail right and you know and i compare it to what i live today that you know i told my wife this morning because we took a date night down to the beach house impromptu i said isn't it cool that i literally you know wasn't even covid i could grab you take you to the airport and we can go to paris you know, and that's, you've made it. That's it. I'm the right. most passionate about that. Yeah. And it, it is, it's the most valuable thing in my life that I, every single day get to do what I want to do. And the irony is my values, uh, you know, that got me here that I have the freedom, but I continually pretty much do what, what I did before, but it feels much freer because I don't have to do it. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's it. I love it. Um, so you, you've done so much from co-founding Sports One Marketing to all the content and the internet things that you're doing now, training course, everything. What, what excites you the most right now? Separate from just two, know, two, two, two things. I've been training people for free for over 20 years. You know, I've been doing Friday trainings to teach people gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration, to teach them how to sell, how to pitch, how to close. I give ego training, don't lie to yourself training. I've been doing these trainings for over 20 years. And what excites me most is that because of COVID, it's extended out from the live trainings that I've done for 20 years in my office and in buildings where I give free lunches to hundreds of people every Friday uh, to come and listen and learn to you know, virtually in the acceptance of Zoom and you know, over 20,000 people registered last Friday. It became my most featured podcast, uh, featured on Spotify. They have a featured playlist of my trainings and entrepreneur features my uh, podcast and trainings. And for me, my goal, my mission of empowering a thousand people in other, to, over a billion people by finding a thousand people like you, who I know will empower a thousand to empower a thousand in your lifetime, to be happy. Uh, and I wanna change the collective consciousness of the world one buster at a time, uh, teaching them and inspiring them and hopefully being a catalyst to them or at least planting a seed under a tree that I may not sit under someday, but at least I know that I've left this place empowered with someone like you that are gonna make people happy. And then the, the more minute or microcosmic thing I'm excited about is I have a brand new TV show that got picked up by Bloomberg Network, Bloomberg TV and Amazon. January 8th, you'll see Two Minute Drill. You know, I'm still executive producer of Elevator Pitch. We're in six seasons, but this is my baby, my show. It's what I wanted. And uh, to me, you, you know why it's so cool? Is I never, you know, e even five years ago, if you would have said, Dave, you're going to executive produce a network TV show, you know, I, I would have said, there's not a chance in hell I know anything about that or how I would do that. And there's no, and somehow I manifested, you know, and it's good and I love it. And my whole, you know, outlook is we can do whatever we want. You got to put in three things. I think you got to believe in three things to get what you want. One, I believe you got to believe in the law of gravity uh, because if you believe in the law of gravity, that means everything's going to be pulled down to you, right? If there's no gravity, it's not going to know which direction to come. Then really importantly, and you're, you're subscribed to this, the law of Goya, right? Get off your ass. The guys who get off their ass the most, the guys who must be what they can be, you know, you got to put that 
everything in motion from Einstein to Planck to Castanetis, they all talk about nothing happens till it moves. Well, the guys who move the most, that have the most action, you're not sitting at home high on your mom's couch, sick and drunk and broke, but no, you're out there doing the best you can, making a ton of mistakes, not quitting. And then finally, the law of attraction applies. The law of gravity, the law of Goya, then the law of attraction will allow everything that you want, even things that other people will laugh at you, scoff at you, make fun of you for doing, they'll end up applauding you when it comes down through that law of gravity right to your feet. Hmm. Yeah, I like I like those. I, it's all it's all very, very, very true. And you know, I, I think oftentimes it's you know, and this is something that I, I think about a lot. And I'm curious your perspective. Like, how how do we help um, people? Because finding finding one's passion and. I definitely am a subscriber to the theory of like lots of people, everybody has a ton of different passions as they should. And it should never be one thing. Like for me, you know, when I was growing up, I was a broadcaster. If I just, if I was like, all right, I'm okay at this. This is all I'm ever going to do. That would be really, really bad. And I think that's you'd, true. For, you'd, be Dan, you'd be Dan Patrick. No, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I would be in college right now working my way through the minor leagues and somebody would have to, you know, quit for me to get an opportunity so (laughs) i didn't do that but (laughs) but you know helping young kids and helping people discover their passions and i i wonder if you agree with this but i think you know everybody at no matter what can figure out what a passion of theirs is based on how they spend their time so if you if you are literally eating ice cream all day that's probably your passion. You probably start an ice cream review site. Like, you know, like there's a billion different things. If you watch a lot of a TV show, you should probably interview all the actors on the show and ask them questions that they've never been asked. You know, I'll take it a step farther because you're absolutely right. I mean, you're wise beyond your years, Buster, because what you're talking about is frequency. And, you know, the best example I have of that is there's a woman who has more followers and subscribers than you and I combined. And we're not doing that bad ourselves, but she's Dr. Pimple Popper. I've and, seen, I've right? seen. Right? I so that's an no exact word. example. That's exact example of like, you know, yes, 3.9 billion people in the world do not care for pimping popples, but the other billions do. And she, <laughs> pimping, pop, popping pimples. And then, you know, uh, but, but one step further, if you're listening to Buster and you're wondering, all right, so I do certain things during the day. What I teach people to do, your what is what you're talking about, not your why. Your what determines your why. So figure out what the heck you're doing consistently or what you like. And and the way to do that is take inventory of your values every day. So I teach people, take inventory of what personally you like, what's important to you, experientially what you like to experience during the day, like eating ice cream all day or watching the same TV show all day. Go ahead and take inventory of your giving values of how much value you provide to others because that's the step that you took and the passion that you have of you know giving to others this value of sharing your frequency and then receiving. You got to include what do I want to get out of this? And if you get those four what's determinative upon your inventory of values, not being afraid of being a hypocrite, especially if you're young, don't be afraid of changing your mind and telling people you didn't know what you didn't know that you, you want a different what that's super cool. And we can't be, I, I encourage people to change your mind. I encourage you to be a hypocrite, but take inventory of those values, find your what, and those whys, because there's multiple whys in your life, will all raise their awareness and become apparent in your journey. 
That, I'm so glad you said that because that's such an underrated skill being able to accept being having been wrong. God, oh, yeah. everybody had that superpower. Could you imagine like politicians being like, oh yeah, I was, I was wrong. I think you're right about that. You never see that happen. They're so, it's like an ego thing. So it's, it's all, if I could give ego activities, I would, but uh, that'd be my ultimate peace solution. My peace treaty would be to give ego activities. Imagine radical humility running rampant in the world. What an abundant, happy place this would be. Oh my God. Yeah, it's so interesting. <laughs> also, something that I've been thinking about recently, it's funny how like, you know, I, I even notice with myself, right? I'm super hard on myself, but then like, I'm the opposite towards other people. Yeah, I had that problem. I told one of my boss, he said, Dave, you, you, you got to calm down. I'm saying, look, I treat people like I, I treat myself. He said, you can't do that. You're way too hard on yourself. Nobody's going to like you. You got to treat them nicer than you treat yourself. Exactly. That's exactly it. I think, I think that that's, that's got to be true with, with most people. Um, yeah. yeah, no, that, that's, that's definitely interesting. Now, if you could, uh, if you could have any superpower, what, uh, what, what superpower would you, would you give yourself, David? You know, this is going to probably uh, sound the wrong way, but I've th given this a lot of thought. And, you know, my two favorite superheroes both have this superpower. Uh, and it's one which is interesting. I'd like the superpower like Batman and Iron Man. Because the only superpower those two guys have is rich. And uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I'd like to, yeah, they're smart too. But I, I'd like to have, uh, you know, a superpower of unlimited wealth so that I can create things like Elon Musk does or, you know, Bezos does like a huge, great scale to feed the world and change the environment, all the things that money allows us to do, you know, and teaches us to do and use money, that object of energy that I put into the flow and in a superpower way, just filled with goodness and high frequency. So any superpower, I'd like to be super rich. Mm, interesting. Now walk walk me through my next question. The sign behind you says money doesn't buy happiness, but can it buy other people happiness? Or so, this is the biggest shift in the paradigm of my life, right? I, I grew up not only believing the more I give, the more I receive, that money would buy me happiness. It'd buy my mom a house and a car. I had six kids, a single mom who worked two jobs, second grade teacher, packed my dinner in a station wagon, then filled up greeting card turnstiles at the 7-Eleven just so we could eat, right? A big day out for me, I laugh because, you know, I'm blessed in the business I'm in. I get to eat at the finest restaurants around the world three or four times a week, normally pre-COVID. For me, when I was young, two large French fries poured into a bowl between six children, was a dinner at Mastro's with the $50,000 wine. The same perspective, the same excitement that I get today. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, for, for me, money bought love and happiness. I became a millionaire nine months out of law school. Everything that happened from the time I was 24 until the time I was 36 reaffirmed that money buys love and happiness. Then I learned that I went from living in a world of not enough where I was a victim, things happened to me there in Akron, Ohio with my single mom. I moved when I was a millionaire to a world of just enough for me. 
thinking that if I give, I, I receive, giving for acknowledgement, I was trading. I was negotiating with my giving. I wasn't unconditionally giving. I buy things if I wasn't happy to be happy. I would buy things I don't need to be happy. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy different things to be happy. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy more things to be happy. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy things to impress people to be happy. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy things to impress people I didn't even like to be happy. And then I realized money is in love or happiness. You know that allows me to shop. And if I learn to shop for the right things, if I shot, like you said, for, to help other people, build community centers in Africa, to build schools, to donate scholarships to junior achievement, to be the, you know, a, a philanthropist of, of, of change. Uh, if I spend money to change the environment, to create equality or appreciation of differences in, in the world, in the United States, if that's what I do, then no doubt money doesn't buy happiness or love, but it allows me to shop. And if I can shop for the right things with my superpower, I can empower over a billion people to be happy. I like that. I, I definitely, I definitely agree. Um, and it, it also allows so much accessibility, right? To be, cause it's not just, you know, the money that you have, it's the message that you're spreading and it does take money to get the message to some of the right people and places to help them. Um, so I, I think that's super important as well. So in, in everything that you're working on now, you know, given everything you've accomplished up and down and all everything in between, what, What's the hardest thing, you know, now that you deal with and, you know, want to fix or, or make better for you? It's always my employees. Uh, it, it, you know, my dad told me early on, he said, you know, if you don't like somebody, wish upon them overhead and employees. So oh if someone God. comes up to you and be like, dude, I hope your business grows six times bigger and you have thousands of employees and the guy leaves you going, that Dave Meltzer, he's a great guy. He loves me. He wants me to be successful. Meanwhile, I just cursed him. Um, and, oh. and, it only is, <laughs> and the only reason it's a curse is if you care. Uh, because, you know, like any relationship, I, my, my business, uh, the people who work with me are family. You know, and you've met some of them, Buster. And, and it's so hard. You know, it's bad enough to have your own kids to try to empower them, but then add the nuance of empowering, you know, these people that work for you to get better and to pursue that, but also have to pay them. And, and if they're not fit into the right space, let them go. And, you know, if you really care, and I'm very good at separating business from my personal, because I love every one of my employees as family, but I separated business-wise to say, hey, we have a goal of profitability here and you're not profitable and you need to leave. So for me, the biggest challenge I have is my relationships with my employees because I want so much for them and from them. Uh, and like you said, that's the only freedom I don't have because I feel so responsible. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. So I, I do want to ask about how you um, are able to separate sort of the work life from the personal life because it's such an, I mean, especially right now, you know, we're recording this and, you know, 10 months into the pandemic. So the pandemic of 2020, because people are going to be listening back to this in like 10 years and it's not going to make any sense. It's going to be like, you know, kids learn about it in history classes and stuff, but um <laughs> But how do you, how are you able to separate, you know, sort of personal from business when it's all 24 seven merged and mashed together? Well, I'm blessed because before COVID, I had shifted my perspective on work. I started telling people years ago, I don't believe in work. I, I don't believe in business. I believe in activity I get paid for, 
an activity I don't get paid for. Now you're a sports guy like me, so you'll get this. Where it really changed for me is, you know, I'm a, unfortunately I'm going to admit this, but I'm a San Diego Padre fan, which isn't so bad now with Tatis and the boys. But That's right, nice. I'm a huge Padre fan. And a few years ago, I said to, to uh, Jeff Morad, that's who I took his job at Lee Steinberg. Jeff owned the Padres years back, sold it to Malley. I, I said, can I give you $2 million to play second base next year? And Morad's like, what? I said, I, I, I want to play second base for the Padres. I said, you're paying the kid $2 million. Pay me. I'll give you $2 million. You'll save the $2 million. And here's the thing, Jeff. You and I both know you can't do any worse than you did last year. So I guarantee you'll at least come in last place. Um, <laughs> now, I guarantee the kid who's playing second base for the Padres thinks it's a job. And there's things that are work for him. And he has to separate his dream fantasy of playing baseball with getting paid and negotiating a contract and getting traded. And th this is life. So at that time, I realized baseball can be activity you get paid for or it could be activity you have to pay to do, you know, and it's not a job. So I started to decipher in my life and to maximize the activity I got paid for. And so I would always look at things, you know, walking down the boardwalk in my beach house, man, how could I get paid to do this? Oh, I could grab back and sell sodas. <laughs> I could make 50 bucks on my walk and meet people. Like this is the way you know, the Dave Meltzer mind works. And so I'm always trying to maximize activity I get paid for with activity I don't, empowering others to do the same. And it's allowed me to separate my relationship because the things that I do with my employees are just activities. And so as long as I can manage their expectations and you know, the big, the biggest upset for me, by the way, I have a terrible need to be offended. I, I, I get, get offended, you know, and everybody lies. My mom lies to me. She always still tells me I'm so handsome. I know that's a lie. People lie with good intent. It's fine. You know, it's fine. You can lie, but I get so resentful. You know, when a kid makes a mistake and, or, you know, t especially during COVID, you know, they go out to lunch for two hours with their girlfriend and they pretend like they're working, you know, active. And I don't care, but it's the lying that gets you as a parent or a boss because then you don't trust, trust them or feel that they're comfortable. So one of the questions that I even ask my employees, not do you lie or do other people lie? Why do you think people lie to me? Like, I, I, I really take a step deeper and I really try to understand. And you know why they lie to me? Probably because they, they want to let you down, right? Yeah, right. Which is a really cool thing, which means I'm running a really good company because they don't want to disappoint me or let me down. Now, if they're lying to steal, they're fired, right? And that has never happened, mm -hmm. you know. But, but the otherwise, every time someone's lying to me, it's actually a compliment. <laughs> it really is. And so I'm able to, to overcome my need to be offended in that manner. No, I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting and something I, I've definitely dealt with as, as well. Um, but, you know, something I, I've been thinking a lot about recently is how do you, um, how do you incentivize everybody on a, on a team, right? Because, you know, a, a salary gets somebody the same, you know, the, no matter how many games you win or lose, you get the same, you know, end result in that regard, apart from like the feeling of, of goodness and, you know, people liking you a little bit more and the boss liking you a little bit more and things like that. But how do you incentivize everybody in a really big company beyond things like bonuses? Because bonuses are just, 
incremental dollar amounts that are spent on a nice purse or whatever, but like real, how do you get everybody in a big company, real appreciable assets? You, you need to take the time to know what they want. Uh, so I believe in bonuses, but I don't give trivial bonuses or purses or whatever. So, you know, here's your salary for doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? These daily activities that you're supposed to be doing. And if you do them to the level in which my expectations are set, you'll receive your salary. If not, you're gone, right? We'll find you somewhere else and I'll help you find somewhere else that's suited for you. But tell me what you'd like to be bonused on. Tell me, you know, is it getting Dave Meltzer speaking engagements? Is it getting, you know, partnerships for us? Is it getting, you know, coaching? You know, tell me what you want to be bonused on. Is it, you know, working extra six hours? I, 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 don't, I don't know, but I, I literally have one-on-one -on -one meetings uh, about this exact uh, area. What's going to motivate you, right? I had a guy, an executive vice president. I came in and I said, what, you know, what is it that you, you want? And he wanted to be bonused off of the bottom line. He said, I, I want to have an impact on the bottom line. I said, that sounds good to me. And I said, well, what do you want for it? You know, you're going to affect the bottom line, $10 million. What do you want? And he said, I actually want this rare guitar. He had opened for the Foo Fighters in the Olympics. He was in a band and then moved into sports and worked with me at Lee Steinberg. And he was a lawyer. And I don't know anything about guitars, but it was a very, very expensive, you know, you know, like baseball card type of mm -hmm. guitar, like collector's item. And so I told him, man, you affect the bottom line, the $10 million, that guitar is yours. I've never seen someone motivated so much. Now, I could have offered him the money of what it would cost to buy that guitar. I don't think he would have been motivated. There, there was something about me asking the emotional attachment that motivated and connected us to this common bond that, hey, we're going to affect the bottom line and I'm going to get the guitar of my dreams. I have a real theory that in influencer marketing, if you know somebody's rate for a post was $10,000 and you offered them a $1,000 item that they really, really loved, they will take it every time. And I know that because I'm probably the same. Yeah, yeah, people bound emotion for logical reasons. I, I had one of my mentors, he was a genius. He only took, so people would ask him, what, what, you know, I wanna buy you a Christmas gift, a birthday gift, what, what can I get you? And, and he was a, a very, very wealthy man. He said, I only accept gold coins. And because they're real value, right? Gold coin is real value. But he only gave, he only gave his gifts perceived values, right? He would give perceived value, like you said, these $1,000 gift that he may have spent a hundred bucks on. You, you know what I mean? Like he would buy things in big lots to get 90% off and then give away the perceived value. But he'd only receive real value and only give perceived value. And that's why he was a very wealthy man. I'm exactly. Sure that, I'm sure margins of millionaires. He, he understood the margins of millionaires. That, that logic carries over into, into all walks of life. <laughs> really funny. So what do you I think? I love your laugh, dude. <laughs> so what do you think the biggest, uh, not, not necessarily, necessarily secret, but, um, you know, things, uh, you know, KPIs or anything of that nature that separates you know, people who accomplish what they want to do and set out for and everyone else. So for me, the one common denominator and like you blessed to be around the greatest celebrities, athletes, entertainers, millionaires, billionaires, entrepreneurs, one thing they have in common and you have this 
And it, it is the desire that you must be what you can be. Why? Because what determines your success is consistent, persistent behavior that creates compound interest, which creates aggregated effect, which creates acceleration and growth. And the conflictual thing about that is that people that are naturally inclined to be consistent and persistent, to be ferocious, don't have the patience to wait for the compound interest and aggregation. So they lose their money gambling, they don't wait on a business, they quit because it's taking too long. And my famous you know, perceptive uh, mechanism that I teach people is the segmentation of 20. Einstein's rule of 72 says if you increase 1% every segment, then it'll take 72 segments to double. Well, I take a 20 segment approach to things and say- well, What do you look, mean by segment? Segment would be, if I wanted, for example, when uh, I met with Gary Vee to build my brand for almost four Super Bowls ago, he asked me, you know, well, how many, you know, how, what's your objective year one? I said, I want two ambassadors. And he's like, ambassadors or followers? I said, I just want two people that will tell every year two people that they have to see the playbook and elevator pitch and two minute drill and read my books and hire me to speak. I want two people out there every year getting two more people to say the same thing. And he said, really? And he said, well, how's that gonna help you? I said, because when I'm, I was 50 at the time, I said, when I'm 70, I'm gonna be the most popular 70 year old with the biggest community on social media. And he said, how's that? I said, because of aggregation, compound interest and segmentation that I'm going to double every year. If I can get two people to get me two people every single year, year one, I'll have two, year two, I'll have four, then eight, 16, 32, 64 after five years. Year 20, I'll have 2 million people getting me 2 million people. Year 21, 4 million people getting me four ambassadors, right? This is a serious audience. And my grandchildren would never have to work again if I had 2 million ambassadors getting me 2 million ambassadors a year, you know, that would buy whatever I was selling or empowered by whatever I was teaching. So, you know, for me, understanding that you have to be able to be consistent, persistent, you must be what you can be, but have the patience to allow it to happen, to understand segmentation. Because here's what frustrates people. If it takes 20 years to get to somewhere, if I told you right now, Buster, how old are you? I just turned 20. Yeah, so at 40, so that at, 40 yeah, it, it, at 40, you'll be 100% of where you wanna be. If I told you that, here's why you most likely because only 1% of the 1% don't quit. But I can guarantee you, Buster, that you'll be 100% of where you want to be in, in 20 years. Here's the problem. If I asked you when you would be halfway there, most people, including Gary, when I asked him this question, say 10 years. No, you're with aggregation and compound interest in exp exponential growth, you're not halfway there till 19 years because it's doubling every year. It's not a linear equation. So what happens is people get to five years and they quit. They get to 10, they, 18 years, you're only at 25% because every year that goes by that you're not 100% of the way there, you start listening to either what other people want for you and then you get what they want. You start listening to the negative talk of what you don't want and then you get what you don't want or you start listening or looking at what's missing in your life and you get more of what's missing. If you can stay focused with that must be what you can be attitude, you'll be patient enough to get to 25% in 18 years, 50% in 19 years, 100% in 20 years. Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Is that why you think most people give up, you know, in the first few years of, of any given project? 
Yeah, because it would suck. I mean, I, I do this example with people. I say, look, I'll guarantee anyone two, mil two million ambassadors in 20 years. Mm -hmm. It'll cost you 10,000 a year to do that. Who's willing to invest 200,000 over the next 20 years, 10,000 a year? And I will give a money back guarantee, Buster, to anyone. Look, and people were raising their hand. Then I said, now here's the thing. After one year, I only have two people. Who wants a refund? Almost everyone rose their, raised their hand. After two years, I have four people for you. How many of you want a refund after 20,000 in? Almost everybody. After three years, I have eight people. How many want a refund, right? I go after 15 years. It wasn't until like 16 or 17 years that anybody, it was, the equation started somewhat looking like it would make sense when I said I have 2,400 people and it's cost you 140 grand. They're like, oh, well maybe, right? But can you see why? It's like, it's like with any business, it just, it takes a while, but then once, once you get it, it's the most exciting, thrilling thing ever. And not everything takes 20 years. Some things, you know. No, well, I, I call it 20 segments because it could be 20 days, 20 weeks, 20 months. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. And whatever this, that's why I called it segments, but people get the year thing because most entrepreneurs, it takes about 17 and a half years to get to 100% of where they wanted to be. And they call them overnight successes. All the great business people, you know, that they started at nine, it takes till they're like 26, you know, somewhere in there, but that's an average. There's some that do it in 17 months. You know, it does happen, but those are anomalies, just like LeBron James is an anomaly for those kids that work their ass off to be a professional basketball player. They're not just born into it. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Super interesting. Yeah, well, the message is, you know, to quit and I mean, not quit and let the let the segments play themselves out. Um, how do you figure out, though, how long, you know, these segments are in your in your individual process? You know, that's a great question. So detachment is also a counterintuitive philosophy. How do you detach from an outcome if you're a goal oriented person? Right. If I'm goal oriented, what does that mean? Detach from an outcome. It doesn't mean not use every effort you can to get to where you want to be. The difference is detach your happiness from the outcome. And here's how I tell people to look at it. If every day you can wake up and say to yourself, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. I'm at the right place at the perfect time and I'm happy. I'm going to do everything in my power to angle to what I want. I'm going to angle, meaning I know I can't get directly there because I have lessons to learn. And every time pain comes, I'm going to move in a different direction, but I'm going to keep angling towards what I want. And I have faith. And this is where the allowance comes. This is where the patience come. I have faith that I am going to end up somewhere better than I even think. So I'm happy where I'm at. I'm angling to what I want. And I have faith that I'm going to end up somewhere better than that. And I think in your short career, that's the truth, that you were always been happy where you were at. You've angled towards what you want, and you're in a better place than you thought you would be at 20. You know, it's, um, it's a couple of things. Um, one, you know, I loved your, your baseball, you know, offering to pay $2 million to play second base. I would have paid to do what I'm doing now when I was 16. <laughs> if, I, if I had any money for it, I would have. Um, but then all of that, you, you know, D-Rock, uh, David. Of course. Yeah. So we were talking the other day and we, were, we sort of came upon the conclusion that the quickest way to get everything was to not need anything. 
um, you know, we kind of came to that at, at the conclusion of our- You guys are watching too many Dave Meltzer videos. That's fucking genius. <laughs> yeah, I must have been. That's um, so good. <laughs> I talk yeah. to D-Rock every week, so he's a genius. I Big shout out. Um, I love that dude, but I, I think that's so true. And that's kind of like, you know, in, in aggregate, a lot of what we've been talking about here, you just got to chase your passion, let the segments compound and, you know, be willing to admit that we are all very frequently wrong because we are. Yeah. And the more, you know, you know, think about how many billions of variables there must be in the universe, right? That, that people can fathom. Like there's so many different variables. So here's the thing. If I start learning more and more variables, it's just going to expose the fact of all the more variables I don't know. So in other words, the more that I know, the more I learn that I don't know. So we have to have radical humility to say, look, I'm doing my best here, but I know I don't know what the heck I'm doing, but I have to have faith then knowing that there's billions available. I have to have faith. And this is where my life changed. And, and I'm not religious uh, or any particular dogmatic religion. I just have probably more faith than most people. I've talked to Joel Osteen even about this, that I truly, I don't look at mountains, but I know that something walks with me is part of me is inside of me that made that goddamn mountain. So if I'm part of what made that mountain, what am I worried about that mountain in front of me for, right? It, it literally, that's that, you know, I have everything I need or I wouldn't be here. That's what you and D-Rock were talking about. So that's the way that we're happy. It doesn't mean that I don't, well, once I, uh, you know, tell myself that I'm here from no, I went from nowhere, then I'm now here, then I'm going to nowhere again, right? Just change the W, a little spacing issue. Well, once I know that, then I know that my whole purpose of being here is to give my life away. If I'm going to go from nowhere to now here to nowhere, my whole purpose here is to give my life away. So I want to have as much stuff as I can to give away. And that's what motivates and inspires me to come through me, not in the world of just enough where I'm a victim, not a world of, you know, just uh, not enough where I'm victim, not a world of just enough where things happen for me, but a world of literally enough of everything for everyone of more than enough to come through me with appreciation, forgiveness, and accountability for everyone else. I am here to give my life away and that's what really makes me happy. But I want to receive a ton of shit to give away. A hundred percent. I think that is a fantastic way to close this one out. David, you're the man. I appreciate you coming on always. Um, everybody follow at uh, David Meltzer, if I'm not mistaken, just your name is your handle. Uh, check them out for more. And without any further ado, we'll see you all next time. Peace.